0: Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. It's lovely to have your company here at mpr.nz or if you found your way to us through one of the many podcasting sites. Property Matters is a show all about property where we talk generally about what's happening in the news here in New Zealand, a little bit of overseas sometimes, and just regarding to real estate and uh, investment. I've got an article here entitled, and this is on goodreturns.co.nz, More Money to Police Property Rental Laws, so landlords watch out. If you're not doing things properly, we all know that there's been a huge amount of legal changes lately with regards to compliance and so forth. What many of you may not realise is that the size of the fines has gone up dramatically for landlords and tenants who disobey the rules. And these are fines that can be paid, in fact fines is not the right word, are tariffs which are paid from one party to the other for doing something wrong. It's what the Americans tend to call punitive damages. So now the government has allocated $80 million in the latest budget over four years to police, in particular, the healthy home standards to fix the bond centre and fund RTA disputes. A $16 million allocation has been made to police the healthy home standards and this will be used to increase the number of proactive investigations undertaken ensuring the benefits of raising the standards of New Zealand's rental housing stock are realised. It will ensure interventions are targeted at the highest risk areas to maximise harm reduction and to support the most vulnerable tenants who do not have the ability or resources to take action against non-compliance. Just by way of reminder, non-compliance with the Healthy Homes Act now carries tariffs up to $7,200. So if you're not sure where things should be, you'll need to get some advice and help around that. Other than that, they're allocating an additional $5 million to support the Tenancy Tribunal, just in in terms of the increasing demand from the changes in the Residential Tenancies Amendment Act. I know, for example, in the last 12 months, approximately uh, 25% more cases from tenants being brought against landlords. And that's just a raised awareness of probably some of these changes in the Act and the fact that tenants can do things about it. So there's some changes there indeed. And that that then led to another article from scoop.co.nz that says landlords say that money would be better spent on something else. So the government used the housing announcements on March twenty third as its main avenue for legislation relating to rental properties, but it still set aside the eighty million in the budget. The Property Investors Federation believes that the sixteen million which has been set aside for the investigation of healthy homes compliance of private rental property providers would be better spent in other areas such as Farm Act, schools or education where the funds are required, said Sharon Colwick, the Executive Officer of NZPIF. Most of our members are bringing their properties up to the healthy home standards as and when they are required and many are already implementing the changes before the required deadlines. So it's interesting to get uh, that from the other side as well. So lots of changes in recent times. The government trying to make it more difficult for investors to, or or making investment property less appealing in a number of ways. What effect has this had? Well it's had two effects which are the exact opposite to what they wanted and the first one is from an article by Miriam Bell in stuff.co.nz. It says Exodus on hold. Survey reveals more investors plan to buy than sell. So more than twenty thousand people took part in Stuff's Now Next survey, and this is what we've learned. Landlords' threats that government housing policy changes would drive property investors out of the market have been overblown. Because the government announced the range of changes at the end of March which are designed to tilt the balance of the housing market in favour of first home buyers. That was including in particular an end to interest offsetting, which will increase many tax investors' sorry, many investors' tax bills. So 20.8% of the respondents of that survey of the 20,000 said they didn't own a property, the rest owned at least one, and 9.56% of them said they'd like to buy an investment. By contrast, just 3% of those who owned a property said they were actively looking to sell. 35% of the people that owned properties weren't planning to do anything, and a further 27% were looking to renovate their current homes. So there's a 3 to 1 Buy rather than sell result, which indicated that property investors were not rushing to exit the market in large numbers, following the government's announcement of its new suite of new housing policies in March. There have been some indications investors might be pulling back from the market, although recent data showed healthy sales activity and the amount of housing stock for sale at record lows. So, what we've been finding here in Manawatu and in Wanganui, to a certain extent, is that the prices are still such that investors are looking to buy and and where there's been some large increases in equity and if owners have more than one investment property they can add the equity together to easily make the 40% threshold of buying an investment property. With the returns that we're getting in our regions which we'll talk about shortly uh, really it's a matter of where else to put your money at this stage. So it seems to be that uh, investors are still in the market and that leads to the other article by Miriam Bell which was the best part of a week after that first one and it says first home buyer fatigue their share of purchases dropped to the lowest since 2018. So again embattled first home buyers she said have been leaving the market with a new report showing their share of purchases fell to the lowest level in three years earlier this year. First home buyers accounted for a 21.5% market share nationwide in the first three months of this year, according to CoreLogic's latest first home buyer report. And that was down from 24.8% six months ago and at its lowest level since the start of 2018. CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson said this suggested first home buyers were fatigued by the struggle to keep up with escalating house prices and deposit requirements. The red-hot competitive market over the first quarter was much tougher for first-home buyers and stretch conditions too far for many, which led them to step back. He says the government's move to cool the market with tax policy change investors might have come at the right moment for many first-home buyers. And while it's too soon to tell how much impact the new measures will have, investors have been disincentivised from buying existing property and that should open up the market for first-home buyers. But we'll just have to see how that goes. In terms of uh, making homes more affordable uh, there is nothing um, in in any of the changes that have made it easier at least in this region for first home buyers to be able to buy because they're still competing against other buyers looking to live in the properties themselves. Also in the budget uh, recently the government removed some of the smaller stumbling blocks that were stopping first home buyers from getting over the line. First home buyers jumping into the property market are taking on levels of debt that would have seemed unimaginable even a few years ago. But while getting in the door of your first home is often a great step to financial freedom, there are concerns that for some, a lifetime of heavy mortgage debt could be a burden to bear. So CoreLogic says the median price being paid by first home buyers in the March quarter was 650000 Assuming buyers had a 20% deposit, that means a loan of more than half a million dollars. This is for first-home buyers. It's a lot of debt to put over your head. There's also record prices in many of the main centres. And within these uh, workplaces now, a greater acceptance of remote working has led a number of first-home buyers to make the move to more affordable provincial centres. New data from CoreLogic reveals that Wanganui was the district that saw the largest annual jump in its first home buyer median price. It was up 34% to just under $377,000 in March. In this article they talked to a buyer who's purchased in Wanganui, a Victoria University geography lecturer. He, He told staff that he was able to buy a much nicer house than he could have in Wellington. It's a really gorgeous old house, it's got a big kitchen dining area which opens out on a deck, it's a bit of a yard with fruit trees and it fronts the Wanganui River. There were other areas that had gone up considerably. Um, Palmer's North up 29.4%, to 590,000 as being what first home buyers are tending to purchase homes at. So it's pretty, pretty difficult going there. Uh, the situation looks like it's going to continue now for, for quite some time with rising prices in this region. So another region where things are happening which is quite interesting was the billion dollar Sleepyhead development which has just got the go ahead. This is just uh, very recent news. Independent commissioners have approved a billion dollar industrial and housing development in North Waikato. But leaders in two Major Waikato organisations are not ruling out an appeal to the Environment Court. But let's talk about what it is. And this is on stuff It was by Alan O'Dwyer on the 24th of May. If you want to see a video and photos of this proposed, uh, what would you call it, a, a, a town. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It Intends to create a large manufacturing and housing community in Ohinewai, potentially bringing 2,600 jobs and 1,100 homes for 3,000 people. A panel of commissioners has given Sleepyhead the green light to turn the 178 acres of rural land there into industrial, commercial and residential land. Waikato District Mayor Alan Sanson said the biggest card had been played in favour of the project. And everything else pivots off this decision. So the development would be a game changer for the communities of Oheniwai and Huntley as well as the whole Waikato region, Sanson said he expected. There would be significant employment opportunities for those living in Huntley as well as those travelling from Waipa on the expressway or half an hour away in Paeroa. It will bring jobs, revitalise the northern Waikato with affordable new housing and encourage other commercial investment in the area. So that's really quite an interesting one. And... Uh, the district around there, which is jammed between Hamilton and Auckland, was under huge pressure to supply affordable housing. Information from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand shows house prices in Huntley had risen 72.4% in the last year, increasing from a median price of 290000 to 500000 in just one year. So when they're building these properties, they're going to try and have some affordable homes in there as well, which is good to see. So we're going to have a little bit of a break now Uh, This is a little bit of Aretha Franklin She's got a symphony orchestra In this background of this song Which is one of the ones that I love This is Respect You're listening to Property Matters on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irarangi o tāngata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. That was Aretha Franklin with respect. And we're talking real estate here on Property Matters. No surprises there, but sometimes you don't quite realise how lucky we are in New Zealand. And I was looking at this article from Alaska that was in the New Zealand Herald. And a This is uh, slightly property related, but I thought I'd bring it to you anyway. So a man called Alan Minish was alone and surveying land for a real estate agent in a wooded remote part of Alaska. Putting some numbers into his GPS unit when he looked up and saw a large brown bear walking about 10 metres away. I saw him and he saw me at the same time and it's scary, he said by phone uh, from his hospital bed in Anchorage a day after being mauled by the bear in a chance encounter. The mauling left Minish with a crushed jaw, a punch ruined in his scalp so deep the doctor told him he could see bone, lacerations and many stitches after a four and a half hour surgery. Now all that damage came from a very brief encounter which he estimated lasted less than 10 seconds after he startled the bear uh, near, in, around, he was in a place called Gulkana which is about 306 kilometres northeast of Anchorage. So the bear, which was larger than the 300-pound black bears he had seen, charged and closed the ground between them in a few seconds. Minish tried to dodge behind small spruce trees, but that didn't stop the bear. He went through them. As the bear neared, Minish held up the pointed end of a surveying pole and pushed it towards the bear to keep it away from him. The bear simply knocked it to the side. The force of which also knocked Minish to the ground. As he lunged on me, I grabbed his lower jaw to pull him away, he said, noting that's how he got a puncher wound on his hand. But he tossed me aside there and grabbed a quarter of my face. He took a small bite and then a second bite, and the second bite is the one that broke the bones. So something to think about. Uh, thankfully, we don't have uh, uh, some of those worries when we're, when we're out there surveying and uh, marking out real estate generally in this country. <laughs> but uh, boy, it's a, it's a different world in some places and that article, even though it's only loosely related I just thought I'd uh, bring that one to you it's in the you don't know how lucky we are category I would I would say Back to uh, some of the news, this article here Biggest Profits on Record for House Sellers So houses sold in the first part of this year made their owners the highest level profit on record new CoreLogic data reveals and the property research company's latest Pain and Gain report found the median national gain by people selling an existing house between January and March was $315,000, up from 291000 at the end of last year. At the same time, the proportion of profit-making resales increased to 98.9%, which was up from 98.4% last year and the highest reading in the 25 years that data has been collected. So it's just quite incredible indeed. Just for your interest's sake... In our part of the world, and I'm just trying to find it here on the article, I was reading that actually it's 100%. Yeah, many provincial centres turned in strong results, 100% of all sales um, resulting in a profit, uh, including Palmer's North and Wanganui. But for most owner-occupiers, unless they were downsizing or moving to a cheaper location, the gains would be simply recycled back into their new purchase. So they talk about these... Uh, record profits of owning property but really in a market where the entire market's moving if you're selling and buying in the same market it's really um, even across the board Just a slight change here in comments by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern she's confident in the budget 2021 benefit boost won't spark rent increases so just a couple of comments on that would landlords put rent up because beneficiaries are now getting more money Probably not, is, is my thoughts. But here's something that's just an aside that they don't tell you. This is the news that they don't want to tell you. The Let's go back to the increase in the benefits first. So uh, last year, benefits were increased by $25 per year. And weekly benefit rates from April 2022 will have increased by 32 to $55 per week. So I'm sorry if I said... Uh, yep. So, I thought I might have said uh, per year there, but no, per week. So, thirty thirty-two to fifty-five dollars per week. Now, the interesting thing there is rents have been going up significantly more than that. I would tend to say in most areas. For example, uh, if a Family in, here in Palmerston North is, was li- living in a home at $500 per week a year ago. It's now at around 560 or 570 And the increase of 32 to $55 per week sounds good, but it's barely keeping up. So they don't put it in the context of of other costs. Do they need to go up? Well, yes, you would certainly think so, given all the other costs in life. Have they gone up enough? Probably not, relatively speaking, but it does sound like a lot. But the thing is, Going back to the article heading, will rents go up because the, the tenants are receiving more benefits? Uh, I wouldn't think so. It's not really a factor. It's just really a catch-up sort of thing at the moment. Another thing that's been mooted a little bit about how to get people into homes, and you'll probably know if you've listened to the show before, that again, I don't believe it's a basic human right to own a house. I just believe it's a uh, basic human right uh, for shelter. So... A lot of these articles we talk about on the show are focusing about getting people into their own houses, which is something that um, you know is, is ingrained in our mentality, I guess. And so this article is giving uh, some alternatives. This is an opinion piece by Hannah McQueen, which was in stuff.co.nz. Record high and rising housing prices have prompted plenty of potential housing affordability solutions to be proposed, and among them the prospect of 40-year mortgages. So given where prices currently sit, repaying the debt over a current maximum term of 30 years is unaffordable for a larger number of people, even at rock-bottom interest rates. And given people are living and working longer, why shouldn't the mortgage term shift to accommodate these changes? No New Zealand bank offers a term beyond 30 years, but it's not without precedent. Terms of 40 years are becoming more common in Britain, and in places like California you can get a 50-year mortgage, which was introduced to combat precisely what we face – declining affordability. Housing affordability is proving to be a really tricky problem politically, economically, socially and the powers that be are no doubt desperate for a palatable solution that doesn't simultaneously hurt those who already own a home. The author says in her mind, moving to longer repayment terms isn't part of that solution. In fact, it probably creates more problems than it solves. So most wisely people should try and clear mortgages and get mortgage-free as fast as possible because getting out of debt fast gives you options while staying in it for life takes them away. So in a in a simple mathematical example, with a 40-year term, unless you're in your first home and likely only home by the age of 25, you'll be repaying your mortgage until you're 65. The trouble is, getting into your first home by the age of 25 is already pretty unlikely for most Kiwis and unless those who are given a hand up by the previous generation. But the average age New Zealanders are buying their first home is now 36. So a 40-year term would mean making final repayments to the bank at age 76. So the primary appeal, though, of longer term is lower repayments, but the downside is that you end up paying more in interest over the course of that time period. So how does that trade-off work? Well, if you borrowed $600,000 at 5% interest rate over 30 years, You'd pay five hundred and fifty-eight thousand in interest, and your weekly repayments would be seven forty-three. But on a forty-year term, your repayments drop to six sixty-seven, meaning you'd save yourself seventy-six dollars a week. But the price of that weekly saving is paying another two hundred, well, almost two hundred and thirty thousand dollars in interests, which makes your weekly savings seem paltry and a forty-year term seem like a false economy. It means that as a borrower you'd sacrifice your ability to do many other things with that money that would benefit your family's future. So it was quite an interesting article where she looked into that and um, as it says, she says, we already have a problem with people going into retirement with mortgages. Only 70% of people over 65 own their own home freehold. In the younger 55 to 64 age group, only 38% are mortgage free so we can expect that figure to deteriorate. The superannuation scheme's payment rates leave little room to still be paying a mortgage in retirement, so it's best to clear that out the way if you possibly can. Moving on, I was uh, interviewed by a reporter this week uh, around tenants, tenants, and dogs and this has been in the uh, an article here about uh, tenants who are forced or feel they're forced to give up their dogs because of the shortage of places that are available and the lack of people that will allow dogs to stay in their rental properties. And they talk about a lady who's opened a pet-friendly property management company, which means all the properties are, uh, that they have are pet-friendly. Because nearly two-thirds of all Kiwi households own at least one pet, but less than a tenth of landlords allow pets. So many of those who do restrict it to cats and small dogs. Dog owners are left completing over the scraps, not just with other pet owners, but with everybody else in an increasingly tight housing budget. So it's pretty pretty hard when people feel that they have to give up their pets, which can be part of the family. I mean, dogs can live for up to 20 years, for example, and uh, sometimes people's circumstances change. So the difficult thing there is the law at the moment allows landlords to uh, not allow pets in their rental properties. Now this might change, so watch this space. At least one of the states in Australia now has it that uh, you cannot uh, discriminate against people that have pets and that uh, you can't make them get rid of pets to put them into a property. I don't know all the ins and outs of that one. It's probably not, not quite as uh, easy as it sounds um, to police. So what do you do to give yourself a good chance of getting a property if you've got pets? Well, consider this. Many of the property-related websites only allow the advertisers to say yes or no to pets. It doesn't allow them to say negotiable or maybe. So therefore, instead of saying yes, they say no. So you can still ask uh, or inquire whether they will allow animals. Another thing is that you can get references for your dog or cat from your previous uh, owners around how that has been. And, as well as that uh, as tenants, you can offer to pay more rent now, landlords cannot ask you to uh, ask you to pay more rent uh by way of the au- auctioning and that sort of thing, but as a tenant, you're allowed to say, "Can I pay an extra twenty dollars a week and if i 'm allowed a dog and that's absolutely fine to do so, and that's certainly something that uh, that can be done so if you're a tenant with a pet and you're concerned about the difficulties in this uh, short market of, of not very many properties available, get good references, ask uh, on the listings that may say no pets, just if they would accept one for the right pet and the right people, because most people actually will. The other thing to do is to offer that you'll pay an extra 10 or $20. You can't offer any more bond, there's no such thing as a, a pet bond. But you can say, look, if we're going to stay here a couple of years, if we pay an extra $10 a week, that's like a $1,000. So if the dog does dig a few holes or the cat rips a neck curtain as an owner, you've got that money already. So think of that if you're considering putting a case forwards for renting and having pets at your property. And that brings us to the end of the show. It's been lovely having your company. This has been Property Matters on NPR nz Tū People's Radio. Today'll ida on Natangata or Mano Two. I'm Greg Watson and we'll catch up with you next week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to ww.mpr.nz forward slash donate.